Grace and peace to you all. Interesting. I've lost the title slide. So I guess it's just going to say prayers and praises while we start looking into the Word of God. The title slide said, Changed by the Divine, which is a great title, isn't it? Oh, y'all look nervous now. Really, no, it's just, it's just stories. I'm just telling stories, okay? Today is Transfiguration Sunday. I know, I'm surprised any of you are here. You're not out at the Transfiguration Parade. Really? No one? All right, well. So Transfiguration Sunday, this is one of those weird church holidays that no one actually celebrates outside of a handful of preachers who need something to preach about. On a certain day, just before they marched into Jerusalem, where uh, Jesus was then arrested and executed, um, before that happened, he uh, told all of his followers, hey, I got to let you know what's going to happen. We're going to go, we're going to march in, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, but don't worry, I'll be raised from the dead. And all of his followers are like, we don't know what you're talking about, we don't want to hear anything. Just don't, don't talk about that anymore. And then about a week after that, Jesus grabs three of his guys, and he takes them on a little hike up a mountain. He says, we're going to go pray, guys. It's getting dark. They're like, oh, really? We're going to go pray? Okay, fine. Since you say so, Master, we're going to follow you. So these three guys go up the hill with Jesus. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8 It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. Now, transfigured is a $10 word. I had to look it up. It means changed. That's all it really means. He was changed. Verse 3 says, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now, anyone know why that's weird? Because they're dead. Well, Moses is dead, but Elijah was taken up to heaven. Both long, long before Jesus came around. So Jesus is changed into this dazzling, glowing, white figure. Moses and Elijah appear and start talking to him. In verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter is doing what most of us do when we don't know what else to do. He is babbling. says so right here in verse 6, he did not know what to say because they were so frightened. They were freaked out. What's going on? Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Jesus said, You guys might not want to mention this to anyone for a little bit. Because if your friends come to you and say, Hey, I just went for a walk with Jesus. And he turned into a lantern, and Moses and Elijah were walking with him. What are they going to say? What have you been smoking? That's right. Yeah. 
But what happened is they saw the glory of God. They saw the, that's how exciting is that to get to see the glory of God right there in front of them. And it lit up things they didn't know were there. People react differently to how they see the glory of God. You remember we talked a couple weeks ago about this guy, Isaiah, who became one of the prophets of God. And he gets called up into this meeting in heaven. He's summoned up. And he sees the glory of God sitting on his throne. And Isaiah says, Woe to me! I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He thought, oh man, I'm corrupt. Everyone I know is corrupt. And I'm right here next to God. And I can see His glory. And it's going to burn me to a cinder. Because that's what he was afraid of. Judgment was going to fall on him right then and there just because he had seen God. If you remember when we covered this story, there was a seraphim, this big, weird-looking, six-winged creature that showed up and pulled a coal out of the altar God's altar in heaven and took that coal and stuck it right up against Isaiah's lips. Jumping ahead. He said, you're made pure. Your sins are forgiven and you've been made pure. Don't worry. You're all thinking about kissing a coal now, aren't you? Thought that bacon was a little hot this morning. Or our buddy Jacob, we keep coming back to Jacob this month as we, as we work our way through the, the liturgy for the, the pre-Easter season here. Jacob, the night before he reconciled with his brother Esau, remember he cheated Esau, he essentially backstabbed his brother, and his brother was going to kill him. And then Jacob ran away for 22 years, and then he came back, and uh, he wanted to reconcile with his brother. But the night before he reconciled with Esau, what he did is he started sending his stuff over into Esau's territory a little bit at a time. First he sent some of his, his herds, some of his sheep, and then some of his goats, and then some of his cows, and then some of his servants. And then he sent his whole family, and then he was the last one to go. It was almost as if he was saying, here, look at all these wonderful things that I've done. Please don't kill me. And while he was waiting for Esau to see all of his family and everything, he sat there by the fire before he crossed into Esau's territory. And while he was there, someone came and started to have a little wrestling match with him. You know, like guys might do, and they're hanging out by a fire, and I suspect one of them jostled the other, and the next thing you know, they're just kind of rolling around, and then they're actually wrestling. And they wrestled through the night. Jacob would not give up. He couldn't win, but he wouldn't give up. And the sun came up, and according to Genesis 32, 25, It says, when the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. He essentially used an illegal move and dislocated Jacob's hip. Jacob refused to yield until God blessed him. So God cheated and dislocated his hip. That's a funny story. I think that's a funny story. Don't don't fight against the guy in charge. That's... That's the moral there. The very first time I preached through the book of Genesis, um, we got to this story the same week that I, I got the diagnosis that I have arthritis in my hip. So when you see me walking with kind of a limp, I've been walking with a limp since I preached about this story about Jacob walking with a limp. It's the weirdest thing. I think that's how God can bring me back here once in a while. Just remind me. 
Jacob refused to yield until God blessed him, and God said, fine, I'm going to bless you. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed, as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So, how's that for an odd story? There was a a dietary rule that was put in place just to remember Jacob and his hip. So this story wouldn't be forgotten. The story of the fact, the truth, the fact that we all wrestle with the divine when we encounter it. We don't necessarily just fall on our faces. We, We see the divine and somehow it changes us to be in the presence of the divine, but we... We don't always accept that so easily, do we? Encountering the divine changes us. I don't think anyone was more changed by his encounters with God than maybe Moses. Moses, I mean, he just he changed so much. He had a really long life. The man lived to be 120. But he was a shepherd and a fugitive. He was 80 years old when he saw this burning bush. And he must be thinking already, I can't believe I've lived this long. He's wandering around, he sees a burning bush. And God, through this burning bush, speaks to him and changes him from being a shepherd and a fugitive from justice into someone who's going to be the the rescuer of his people. He changed Moses from something ordinary into a miracle worker. He changed Moses from someone who was a leader of no one, a guy who followed sheep, into someone who led millions of people out of captivity through amazing circumstances and into a land that God had promised them. He changed Moses from someone who couldn't speak clearly into someone whose voice is still recognized as one of the greatest prophets in history, someone who who we still go back and look at the things that he had to say. He changed Moses from being just a child of God to being a friend of God. That's what it tells us in Exodus 33, verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. They just wanted to hang out. How cool to just get to hang out with God. Moses didn't just see the glory of the divine like in the burning bush. He saw it and he wanted to do more of that. I want to see you more, God. I want to do more with you. In fact, there's one great story um, just before this happens where it says that Moses said, God, I just want to see your glory completely. Because apparently whatever they're doing, this face-to-face thing, he's not seeing God directly because he can't look at God directly. Because when he says, I want to see your glory completely, God's like, okay, let me tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to go up on this hillside where there's a little cave in the side of the, of the cliff. And uh, we're going to go up and you go into that cave. And then I'm going to reach out my hand and I'm going to put it over the entrance to that cave so that you can't accidentally see me. And then I'm going to go by. And after I go by, I'll take my hand out of the way. And when my hand comes out of the way, you can come out and you can see the glory of where I've been. To which Moses must have said, well, that's not exactly what I was looking for. But you know what? It's something I'll take whatever I can get to see God's glory. God was worried that Moses wouldn't be able to be in his presence. And I figure God would probably know. Uh, Moses' friendship with God actually protected the people of Israel. They were not particularly well-behaved 
as a general rule. They whined a lot. They complained a lot. They uh, got on God's nerves. And they downright disobeyed him. So he had this big thing where he did the Ten Commandments, right? So he, God's up on a mountain, and he gets all the people of Israel to surround the mountain, and he speaks to them so that they can all hear his voice. And he starts in, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And he says, I am the Lord God who delivered you from slavery in Egypt. Don't worship any other gods before me. I need to be first. And the people said, talking to us make it stop by the time he got through the second commandment the people are sending the leaders to Moses to say could you ask God not to talk to us directly he's really freaking us out so he gets to the end of the ten commandments and God's like okay Moses here's the deal instead of talking to everyone I'll talk to you come on up the hill and I'm going to write down a few instructions for you that you can bring back but it's going to take a while. So Moses is like, okay, I'm going to go talk to God. You guys just sit here, sit tight. Remember those ten commands that God just told you and uh, work on those. And everyone's like, okay, no problem. So Moses goes up the hill to talk to God. And he spends 40 days and 40 nights. Now, can I tell you it's exactly 40 days and 40 nights? Depends on how you read Scripture. If you want to say that's literally 40 days and 40 nights, that's great. But 40 days and 40 nights is an old Hebrew idiom that means a really long time. So he went up the mountain for a really long time. And God wrote on two clay tablets for Moses. He wrote down the Ten Commandments. And then he gave Moses some other instructions about how people could apply those Ten Commandments. And then he sent him back down. And as Moses comes back down, he finds that his brother Aaron, who's like second in command, has gone ahead and the people got a little nervous because Moses was gone for so long, and they said, we need to worship God without Moses. So here's a whole bunch of gold jewelry. Could you make us a statue that we could worship? So even though God had just said, don't worship any other gods before me, don't make any images, don't make any idols, the people made a gold calf, a gold baby cow to worship. Nice baby cow. Made out of gold. And so as Moses gets down, they're starting to have this giant party where they're all like, Woo! Here's our God! It's this cow! Yay! It's the cow! Moses was a little pissed off. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say that word from the pulpit. Moses was upset. And he, uh, he kind of broke the tablets. He's holding them in his hands. Now, we always think of the tablets that he brought down being like those big things like Charlton Heston had in uh, the Ten Commandments movie. I bring you the 15, 10. Oh, wait, that was a different movie. Ten Commandments. Well, actually, they're like, you know, those little pocket notebooks. That's about how big these tablets would have been. They're just like palm-sized. So he had one in either hand, and he gets down, and he sees what's going on, and he's ticked off, and he's like, I've had it with you people. And he goes through this whole penalty thing, and then he gets the little pieces of tablets, and he crumbles them into the drinks, and he makes all the leaders drink this dusted-up tablets and kind of weird stuff. And the people are like, we're so sorry. Could you ask God to give us the rules again, and we'll start over? So Moses went back up the mountain. Forty days and forty nights. 
goes back up the mountain and God says, you know what, I'm not going with these people anymore because if I hang out with them, I'm going to get so angry, I'm going to just start wiping them out. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send some angels to go with you, and I'm just going to go hang out in heaven, and you and the angels can go and do all the things that I promised you. And Moses said, oh, no, 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 my friend. If you don't go with me, I'm not going to lead those people. God was going to send them on their way, but Moses talked him out of it. It actually says in Scripture, God changed his mind and agreed to go because of he was friends with Moses. And so God said to Moses, look, cut some new tablets and come on up here. We're going to rewrite the stuff that you were written down. Exodus 34, verses 27 and 28. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So that's what's getting written down on these tablets, the Ten Commandments. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights with no bread and no water. Because God had pizza and soda delivered every day. No, that's, that's not true. He was sustained by God's glory. Just by being in the presence of God, being in the presence of that life-giving glory, Moses was changed that he was able to survive without the things that we usually would think of as being important to us. Things that would usually seem necessary. Not so necessary when he's sustained by God. Verse 29 says, When Moses came down, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Everyone knows what radiant means? Bright, glowing. You ever see someone, they've just got this light about them? They just shine. Moses' shine was a little more literal. Lit up the room. And it's funny because the, the word in Hebrew um, is the word Quran, K-A-R-A-N, or Q-A-R-A-N, Quran, Quran. It means radiant or shining, light. Um, but some people think that it might actually have been Quran, K-E-R-E-N. See, the problem is ancient Hebrew doesn't have vowels, so you have to determine what the vowels are by how it's written in context. And so... Some people thought there might be a mistake here because karen actually means horned, like having horns. So uh, there's this uh, Christian church leader, a guy named Jerome. In the 4th century, he translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, the Latin Vulgate. And when he did this translation, he said, Moses was not aware that his face was horned because he had spoken with the Lord. He had horns. Now, there's some question. Is, he, is it mistranslated, or is he trying to be symbolic? Let me just show you a couple of the pictures that came out of this translation. So here's a, here's a nice medieval uh, carving of Moses. Nice statue. There he is. He's got horns right up there on top of his head. There's a little something Michelangelo put together. There you go. See? He's got little, little horns up there. Um, where is his Moses statue? Is that, I don't think it's in this. 
probably there, there's uh, hundreds of these. I just grabbed the first uh, half dozen that had large enough resolution I could put them up here. I remember the Michelangelo one because the horns actually kind of look like cat ears. So there's one. There we go. Well, because this verse says that uh, his face was either lit up or horned. So they went with this translation that says horned. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I like this one's a little more modern, obviously. Um, he's not actually wearing sunglasses. He's just got really heavy eyebrows there. It's, actually, let's, let me talk about this for just a sec. Um, there um, are two things going on here. Um, First, if he's radiant and he's glowing, that's great. And that's probably really hard to carve, how someone glows. So we've got paintings that show Moses with like horns of light coming off his head that is supposed to indicate radiant and horned at the same time. Because horned wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Nowadays, we tend to think of it as like, oh, demonic, evil. That's why I put this picture up last, just so I'd have it there. <laughs> this is like demon Moses right there. It's scary. Um, but the horns were a symbol of power and authority. So drawing horns on him could have just been a symbolic way of saying, Moses came down from God with this greater authority visible on him. So it might have been talking about his, his glow, his radiance, which is very likely the case, which we'll get to in a second. But um, it's talking about this glow, but it could also be talking about the authority that that glow gave him. So horns are not an unfortunate translation, except that we got all these statues of Moses looking like some kind of bull. In fact, there's a, a story I ran across in uh, one of my commentaries. Someone's talking about their, their uh, grandfather mentioned to someone, this is in uh, 19... Uh, 1940s, he mentioned to a friend of his that he was a Jew, and his friend said, can I touch your head? He didn't believe the man was Jewish, because he wanted, so he went, he, he started touching his head, poking at his forehead, and he said, well, there's no horns there. How do you know you're Jewish? Because the horned statues of Moses had led certain people to believe that all Jewish people had horns. And certain teachings of the church that were prevalent in the mid-1900s led them to believe that was because people who were Jewish were demonic. So when he couldn't find horns on that grandfather's head, he said, can I see your feet? Because you're a nice guy and I want to see the cloven feet. Because he assumed by claiming to be Jewish he was a devil. Uh, those people were not friends after that conversation. Because those are completely untrue. And you notice the time frame, 1940s, guess where they were? They were in Europe, right on the edge of the, the conflict there. So, Whether it's a mistranslation or symbolism, it's not a bad symbol to look at Moses as having an authority figure, having this unusual symbol of his power. But I think we are best left thinking of it as being light glowing from his face because it says when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him but Moses called to them 
So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. All the commands. Here are the Ten Commandments. I've written them on these tablets, so you don't forget these. Now, let me spend a couple hours telling you all the other stuff God told me about how you can live these out. Moses answered God's call, and when he answered God's call, he was changed by the divine, and then he shared those changes with the others around him. Moses first shared with the leaders, the leaders shared with the people, and the people shared with the world. And eventually it got to us. Good news. God wants us to be in his presence. He's told us how we can do that. In verse 33 from Exodus 34, it says, When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. This is how I personally uh, know that it's unlikely there were actually horns. Because just hanging a veil off of a pair of big horns is probably not going to cover anything up. But it does cover up a glow. I think for us, the idea of someone's face glowing is not as frightening as it would have been back then. Because we have lights. We're used to being able to flip a switch on and something turns on. Back in the day, lights were little smoky oil lamps that people had to work hard to light. Or candles. Yeah. So for them to have someone whose head is like a flashlight, that's just got to be totally disturbing. For us, we'd be like, ooh, is that glow-in-the-dark paint? Have you been hanging out near radiation? Are you one of the radium girls? You know who the radium girls were, right? Back in the early 1900s, they, they had glow-in-the-dark watches and clocks and stuff. And the radium girls, they would dip the paintbrushes in the radioactive stuff and then paint the hands of those radioactive things. And some of the things they would do, like, like paint their faces and their teeth and stuff so that they would glow in the dark, which was all good until the cancer set in. Cancer sucks. So Moses finished speaking to them, and he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what had been commanded. And they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So first he would take the veil off because he doesn't want anything between him and God's glory. He likes to be in the divine presence. He likes to be exposed to the glory of God. But then he put the veil on, maybe because he didn't want people to see it fading. Over time, the more time you spend away from God, the more that glow that you might have will fade, right? Maybe he only wanted people to see that glow when he was speaking God's word so that they didn't think the stuff that he was just talking about was as authoritative. So maybe he put on the veil so that he could, he could you know, say to someone, hey, let's go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. And people wouldn't be like, oh, the word of the Lord is that we need to eat at McDonald's. He didn't want that to happen. Maybe God's glory is just too great for anyone to look directly at. Even when it's being reflected off of someone else. Even that indirect look might be something that could overwhelm them. So Moses spends time with God. As a result of spending time with God, he gets some of God's glory like stuck to him. (laughs) And then he goes, 
And that glory just shines off of him somewhere else. And maybe the people around are like, oh, I can't look at God's glory. Maybe he can do it for a little while, but not for very long. I don't know. All speculation, I guess. The Apostle Paul actually thought that uh, the glory that was radiating off of Moses, it wasn't so much that it had come from God. He thought it was reflected before it got to Moses. He thought that it was the law that Moses had been given. He thought Moses was given the law. Moses spent time with the law, the Ten Commandments. And because he spent time with those, the glory of God reflected through the law, shone out from him to the people around him. And he said, you know what? That law, though it was given for a certain people at a certain time in a certain place. And in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul said, you know, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Now, we got a couple of things about Paul you need to know. First, if you've ever read any of his letters, you know that he loves run-on sentences. So sometimes it can be hard to figure out exactly what he's trying to say. It's worth it when you do it, but it can be hard. So when he says the ministry that brought death, what he's talking about is the law. Because if you have the law, you can break the law. If there was no speed limit and you drove 75 miles an hour through town, would you be breaking the law? No, because there's no speed limit. If there is a speed limit and you exceed it, are you breaking the law? Yeah. So if the only penalty for breaking the law is death... The less laws you have, the happier you are, right? The Spirit, this is God's Holy Spirit. Paul's been talking to the believers, writing to believers about how God's Spirit comes to rest in each believer. And it leads them towards what they were created to be. It leads them into being more like Christ. It leads them into being more like what God made us capable of. And so what he's saying in this is, look, as wonderful as the law may have been at its time, it was so wonderful that God's glory shone through it onto Moses, and Moses had to put a veil on his face because that glory was too great for people to look at directly for any period of time. As wonderful as that was, it's nothing compared to having God's Spirit actually in us to lead us, that we can follow the Spirit rather than following words on a page or on a tablet. Right? Paul goes on to say, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers the people's hearts. When you read the law, it's like a veil comes over your heart because you want to... That law comes between you and, and glory. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Because now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is no law. There's the Spirit. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is calling us to be transformed. The Spirit of the Lord, when you confess belief in Jesus, God ties His Spirit into your spirit. 
If you listen to the Spirit, you become more like God. In Galatians, it goes through a whole list of things called the fruit of the Spirit. They're the things that, if you're following the Spirit, your life is supposed to change because these are the things that grow. Love, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, self-control. I'm forgetting one. That's not a good sign for a pastor. Go look it up. Galatians chapter 5, verses 24, 25. God calls us to be transformed. Let the Spirit work in our lives. Let it lead us towards the thing that it's supposed to lead us towards. Jesus said, follow my command. What was Jesus' command? Does anyone remember? He only had one. Yes, he said, love the Lord your God with everything you have and equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Because how do you show God that you love him? By loving your neighbor. So according to Jesus, that's the thing you got to do. Love. So what's the Spirit supposed to be leading you towards? Love. Fruit of the Spirit, the first thing that's listed. Love. All the other things are the things that make it possible to love. I think it's funny that peace and patience are the next ones. Because if you don't uh, force yourself to be at peace, and if you don't have a little patience, you're never going to be able to love. God calls us to be transformed. He doesn't want us just to be his image bearers. We're all made in the image of God. We know that from Genesis. But God wants this ever-increasing glory to shine out from us like a brightening beacon which draws people in. Have you ever watched a fluorescent bulb when you turn it on? Oh, I'm sorry, an LED bulb. Fluorescents did this too, but LEDs are much more dramatic. You turn it on, it's like 20% of power. And then... As time goes by, that power grows stronger in there. The connections, the electrical charges, the pathways, somehow they, they strengthen, they brighten the light that's coming out of that bulb. And so after 10 minutes, that bulb has gone from just being light to being, I can't look that way because it's too bright, to, it hurts my eyes. That's what God wants for each one of us. He wants his glory to to grow in us until we hurt the eyes of the people around us with his glory, drawing them in. They, oh, I want that too. Even if they have to start with a veil. Just as Moses shared God's glory with the leaders to be shared with the people, and then everyone changed, Jesus draws us in and sends us out changed. We get to shine like Jesus shone. That was, he came, God gave Jesus as this human example of what it looks like for God's glory to be continually growing without horns. We are called to be the friends of God who are sustained by His glory, glowing from His presence and sharing His radiance with the world. Might be cool if it actually worked into little light horns like Moses, huh? Hey, I know that guy's a Christian because he's got little horns of light sticking out of his head. It does say in Revelation something about the people of God will have the seal of God put on their foreheads. Maybe if you're lucky, your seal will be light horns. (laughs) Seems unlikely, but you know, you never know. That's what you're called to. You're called to shine. Can you shine? Or would you rather live in darkness? I want to shine. I'm glad you want to shine. Who wants to be God's friend? Excellent. 
Me too. Let's pray about it and then sing about it. God, thank you that you are willing and interested in being our friend. For something so amazing as you that I can't look at your glory directly, so amazing and powerful that you could create a cosmos the size of ours and still care about something as small as us. And you want to be our friend. That's amazing. I don't even understand how that would work, but I know that you promise it does and that you always keep your word. God, we want to be your friend. We want to be your beacons to the world around us. Put your glory inside each one of us and encourage us to follow that spirit until we shine so brightly that it hurts the eyes of the world. Until they join us too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.